encourage you to come. It'll be just an intimate, personal time of remembering uh, what was to happen as he prepared his followers for his death. In fact, those familiar words, let not your heart be troubled, uh, let it not be fearful, um, was all said because they were wondering about what he had just said, that he was about to die. And so one of the greatest ways for us to prepare our hearts for Easter week is to take communion together. And then on Friday, uh, we have a Good Friday service it's in our chapel. It's at the noon hour. I know many of you can't come because it's in the noon hour, but some can if you're off. It's a great opportunity to think about uh, what Jesus said on the cross and an opportunity to reflect upon him as well as we just prepare our hearts for this week. And then uh, Sunday is Easter, Easter Sunday, uh, Resurrection Sunday, and then a number of things we're doing. Uh, one is we started last year a sunrise service in the community behind us. It was really a, kind of a step of faith as, as many uh, of uh, those who live in the community behind us speak Spanish. And we, don't, we didn't have a Spanish-speaking service, but right before we started that, uh, we started a Spanish service the week before. And, and so it was a great opportunity, and it'll be a bilingual type of service. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how it's all going to play out as we're making some of the plans, and, and they're going to participate in leading that as well. But if you come, it'll be at 7 o'clock, and then we figured if you stay, and we want you to stay for our Easter services, uh, we'll feed you. So uh, between 8 and 9, um, Patsy's going to do her miracles and have uh, food prepared for us. And as I was uh, inviting my neighbor across the street, we, we passed out flyers to all of our cul-de-sac, uh, but we got some people coming, and I said that I'd feed them, and they said, okay, I'll be there. So uh, if you... Uh, if you have a, another way to invite people to our 915 service, just say, hey, come early. We'll feed you some uh, eggs or whatever it might be, and then we're right into our Easter service. So a uh, great opportunity. If you come really early for the sunrise service, I'd encourage you maybe to park on that street side because we want to leave as much parking as possible. Uh, it'll be a great opportunity just to celebrate uh, what this season is all about. Uh, we have cards like this if you'd like to take uh, some cards to your neighbors or to your friends and just to invite them to, to come celebrate uh, this particular uh, event. It's the most significant event of all of history, and so many people are open to come to a church on Easter Sunday, and we want to hear not only uh, them to hear the good news, but the best news. And so uh, let's, uh, let's be praying and inviting and just asking God to do his work, not only in our church, but all the churches in this area, uh, in, this, in this nation, around the world, that God would use that to touch lives for him. So as we are prepared for that, let's look to the Lord in prayer and we'll look at what God wants to say to us on this day as we come together. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for just the good news that surrounds this particular week. Uh, but it came to pass because of our need, because of our sin, because of our rebellion against you. And those are humbling words to hear. And yet those were the words that they needed to wrestle with when this first happened and now as we look back approximately 2,000 years the message is still the same because of God's great love for us we can be forgiven help us to understand what led up uh, to this happening and, and just the response of people as they were confused about so many things going on and Father we don't want to be confused during this Easter season we want to understand what your plan is all about and help this week and this day and this particular message help us to just resonate with your truth. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is an interesting season in so many different ways in our children, as our children go to the children's church. Uh, for many, if you were to ask uh, people in America, particularly if they're a sports fan at all, they would say this particular season is marked by March Madness. And, and what's maddening for me as a, as a long uh, uh, 
time sports fan, and even particularly a basketball fan, is, is March Madness. And it really just kind of came on with that particular theme just actually only a f- number of years ago, not too many years ago in the past. But uh, it was because all of a sudden during this season, people who weren't basketball fans all of a sudden became basketball fans. And as you think, well, why, why is this? Well, let's just be honest, because all of a sudden uh, brackets became very popular. Uh, whether it be an office pool or people at school or people you, just a friendship circle. And everyone was filling out their brackets because they wanted to predict who would win the, the national championship in the collegiate area. And so uh, I know my, my daughter particularly is not a basketball fan, but she fills out brackets. And my sons who, um, who like to play sports but didn't follow sports, they're always filling out brackets. And everyone's filling out brackets because they believe that somehow they're going to be able to pick who's going to fill out those winning competitive parts in that, that whole series of a is it 64 teams or 128 teams that begin and all of a sudden it pairs down to the final four and then the final two and then there's a national championship. Well, you know, as you think about that, uh, people celebrate this. And if you fought at all uh, this particular year, you found out that, that people's brackets were, a li- were destroyed in the first week. Because there was, this, there was this amazing upset because a 15 seed beat a number two seed who many thought should have been a number one seed because they were predicted uh, to be favorites to go to the final four. But all of a sudden, this, 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 this university that really no one knew about, Middle T- Tennessee, anybody ever heard of Middle Tennessee? Okay, some people from, you know, back that area, I understand. But, you know, for, for us who really live in, you know, God's um, promised land, California, you know, Middle Tennessee, we'd never heard of Middle Tennessee, and yet they beat one of the powerhouses, perennial powerhouses, Michigan State. And all of a sudden, everyone who thought they might win, you know, their, their pool realized their brackets were ruined. Because what they had predicted didn't come to pass. They were celebrating the beginning of March Madness, but now they were somewhat in despair. Well, if you really understand what this last week of Jesus here, and particularly that, that, that first day that began that week, what we call Palm Sunday, It began with people who were celebrating, but it ended up in confusion. And in many ways, those who were not fans of Jesus, all of a sudden, right right at the end, became fans of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they they left him. And, And as you think about this theme that I want to share with you this morning about celebrating but not being confused, though there were those there in mass that were celebrating that were confused. Is this, interesting enough, wasn't just for those who didn't believe or didn't really truly believe. This confusion filtered into those who truly believed as well. And we'll see that in the text that we're going to see this morning. So us who sometimes can be so familiar with the, the Easter story, we can miss it. If we're not listening or maybe to look at the text, reading carefully. That God doesn't want us to simply get caught up in some kind of an emotional moment and miss the depth of what he wants to do in our lives. So if you have your Bibles this morning, turn at John chapter 12. And in it we're going to pick up this account of Palm Sunday. And it's recorded in all four of the Gospels. But we're going to look at John chapter 12 and we'll look at some of the other passages that relate to that. And we're simply going to look at... 
celebrating but confused and, and see what God might have for us to understand that more clearly in our own lives. Crowds were celebrating Jesus but were confused about at least four things. They were confused about the timing of God's plan. They were, they were confused about the political nature of God's plan. They were confused about the spiritual nature of God's plan. And they were, they were confused about the truth of God's plan. Now, and if, if for some reason I haven't grabbed you yet in terms of how this is supposed to sit down and touch your life, is that if you're not confused about this particular event in God's plan, you're at many times confused about what is God's plan for you right now or about something that has happened in the past. Or if any of us live for any length of time, we're, we're going to be confused about something else that's going to be in God's plan. And we who at times are, are so celebrated, so full of joy, we're, we're, we're one of God's fans. But when things go wrong, we're not so happy to cheer him, are we? Unless we understand the bigger nature of God's plan, we'll miss out on, on living by faith when things aren't going right. And they're confusing and troubling. And even to the point where they, they provoke fear in our heart. And, and we're, just, we're just discouraged. We're wondering, what happened? Well, let, let's, pick us, let's pick it up as we look at the very fundamental thing that we often get confused about. The timing of God's plan. You know, we're seeing this somewhat as we began the, the, our series in the, in the letter of James. But, but often things happen, as, as Murphy says, that the, the worst things happen at the worst of times. And, and here people were just excited about what Jesus had done and what they anticipated he would do. And they thought, now was the time it was going to happen. And James, I have in your outline this morning, we wrestle with time. And, and sometimes we feel we can predict the time, predict what's going to happen. We pre can predict what God will do or not do. In James chapter, five, verse four, uh, verse, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, we, we read these words. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And maybe that can just linger with you after this morning. As we all venture out into life after this day, we should make plans. We should try to put things in order, but let's do it very humbly. Because unless the Lord wills it, it will not happen according to how we would perceive it to happen. And the good news is, is that we can trust that God is good even when things don't go according to our plans because things always go according to his ultimate plan. In John chapter 12, we, we pick up the story. Well, let's begin at verse 9. The large crowd of the Jews who learned that he was there, Jesus had been in Bethany right before Palm Sunday, and he, he was at, having, you know, 
a normal day like we have. He was eating with some family and some friends. He had Lazarus and Mary and Martha there, and some of his disciples were there. And, and he was preparing to go into Jerusalem. And they heard that he was at Lazarus' home. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, interesting enough, but that they may also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. If, if somehow you were to rate Jesus' miracles, I think most of us would say, other than the miracle of Jesus raising from the dead, you'd say it was raising Lazarus from the dead. That captured people's attention. In fact, many people began to at least give mental assent to belief. This is, this is someone I need to follow. And it wasn't just Jesus because they knew Lazarus and he who was dead was now alive. And so they were curious about Jesus. And they wanted to come see him, verse 10. But there were others who weren't particularly fans of his in any dimension. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. This was a miracle they could not somehow sweep underneath the rug. And so they had to deal with not only with Jesus, but they had to do something to Lazarus. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Verse 12. And on the next day, the large crowd had, who had come to the feast, when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Now, we, we all know the, kind of the end of the story here is that what's happening here is, is people are coming to see Jesus in so many different directions and so from so many different angles. They're coming from the outside, outskirts of town with Jesus from Bethany into Jerusalem, and the people who are in Jerusalem are coming out to see Jesus, and we'll see that in a moment. But what's interesting here is that people have, they have a plan that they think is God's plan. S some are thinking, this is now the time in which God is going to give us the person who's going to eliminate all of our problems. And then you have the other ones, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, are saying this is the one who's going to cause us all kinds of problems. And it was interesting, particularly from the Sanhedrin, they saw this early in the life of Jesus. They saw him as one that they needed to fear and deal with. In Matthew chapter 12, in verses 14 and 15, you have Jesus healing the man with a withered hand. And when he did it on the Sabbath, the immediate response of the Pharisees is, we need to put this person to death. And what's interesting about God's plan, God always, always has it according to his agenda. And with Jesus, uniquely, Jesus, in, according to, in, in God's plan, not only at his birth, but at his death, it was at the exact moment God had planned. And in Galatians chapter 4, it says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So at his birth, it was the exact moment when, when God the Father wanted Jesus to land on this earth. But not only at his birth, but also at his death. And it was interesting, those who thought they had a kind of a, a clue into God's plan, that they, they decided to somehow make it according to their plan. In the Sanhedrin, it says that, that, that in Matthew chapter 12, that they plotted then to put him to death. But you know what happened? Nothing happened. And, and then it says in Matthew 26 that, that they were beginning to plot, verses 3 through 5, for Jesus, again, to be put to death. But they were so fearful. At first, they wanted Jesus to die early. And now, they wanted Jesus to die later. Because 
they said, we can't do it now because at the festival, he has too many fans. He has too many people following him. So we're going to have to wait till after the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to have to wait till after Passover. But you know what? It was God's timing for it to happen now. And we need to realize that. Because even in the Old Testament, it says in Daniel chapter 9 that after 69 weeks, the plan of God would come to pass where the one who was to come as a deliverer of God's people spiritually would land here and be crucified. All I want to say to you is God's ultimate plan will always come to pass. And though there will be many people plotting to have it done early, as in Matthew chapter 12, or later in Matthew chapter 26, it will happen exactly at the time God wants it to come to pass. The other interesting thing about this is that sometimes as we think about what can happen in our lives, we're fearful of people who are in, in control, who are in charge. You need to understand that people who are in charge, you know who they're fearful of? The people who are not in charge but that are many. In, in Luke chapter 22, it says that the, that the leaders were fearful of the people. And so the only person we really need to be fearful of is who? Is God. Because God is the only one who's in control of the leaders as well as the people about what will or will not happen. So, so one thing is that we can be confused. That we can be confused about the timing of God's plan. When are you going to do what you're going to do? And then particularly as it relates to our lives, when do we get to do what we think we, we want to do or need to do? And God says, at my timing. And that was particularly true as Jesus came in to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But the other confusion, probably the major confusion here, was not only the timing of God's plan, but it was the political nature of God's plan. Because they were looking for that which God had chosen not to do at this time. Let's, let's read the account. In Matthew chapter uh, tw- uh, John chapter 12, we have these words. They came in and heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And then verse 13 says, They took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as is written, For fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And we'll stop right there. So as he's coming in, and we have this throng of people, and Jerusalem maybe had a few hundred thousand people normally. Uh, it had swelled to a million, to maybe two and a half million people. People were coming from outside of Jerusalem, and people were coming in uh, from, from Jerusalem, and they were coming to see Jesus. And as they came to see Jesus, they did something which was not normal for this particular period of time, the Passover. You didn't use palm branches or what are these things here, these leaves that are in here? <laughs> but I guess they're kind of like palm branches. Okay, but, but what happened between Matthew and, and, and Malachi, you know, there's the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's 400 silent years. And what happened is all of a sudden the palm branches, which were used in other feasts, were used as a celebrative gesture to, to someone who was coming in as a victor. It was particularly used during the Maccabean um, conflict with the Syrians, and, and they, they, they were victorious, and all of a sudden they would put bomb branches down to celebrate those who, who led that rebellion in, in, in victory. 
And as they, as they saw Jesus coming in, they were, think, they were seeing Jesus not as the one who would save them from their sin, but save them from the bondage of Rome. They saw the Messiah as a political leader who would solve all their physical problems. And they were filled with enthusiasm because that's what they thought was going to happen. We know in the other synoptic gospels that they also threw down their garments. And I was going to look for volunteers who might want to put their jackets down here and we could, we could walk all over it. But that, again, was a symbol of, of, of honoring a royalty because you wouldn't put down your own clothing unless somehow you lifted up this person in a sense of just praise and worthiness because of what they were doing and what they could do. And sometimes we don't, we don't now look at Jesus at the moment somehow freeing us from whoever is in the, in the White House and we're all battling, you know, who's going to be in the White House next and, or who's going to be in Congress or who's going to be another political leader. And, 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 and many people today, have you noticed that some Christians are kind of going crazy about what's going to happen politically? Okay, and you have, you have pastors coming up and they're now putting their, their hand of approval on a certain candidate and another and, and, and I think as Christians, we ought to be responsible to vote, and we're going to give opportunity for people to, who have never signed up to vote to vote here. But let, let's be clear. We don't look to the White House, the House of Representatives, or the Supreme Court, or the United Nations for our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. And, and Jesus has promised that he is coming again. He came the first time. And he's coming again, but at the first time he came to deal with a bigger issue. And the issue is not the rule around us, but the rule inside us. And Jesus came to be our king, to be our sovereign, to be our Lord. And as he looked at all the people who were just singing praises to him, even asking him to do that, which you would, you would say that they got it. Hosanna, save us. In fact, save us now. Now, some translation of that Hebrew term said, Lord, help us, help us. And at the point of anyone who comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the beginning. You, you need to come to that point where you realize you need God's help. You can't do it on your own. But they, but they weren't looking for Jesus to, to change them, but change the, the circumstances around them. Our challenge as God's people, more than somehow trying to make our nation a Christian nation, is to make more Christians in our nation. That God will save America, as he saves, one person at a time. And that's why we need to be people who are just eager to share why Jesus came. Jesus came to save us from our sin. You know, it's also, as Jesus was trying to, and it wasn't his difficulty in communicating, but it was people's difficulty in responding and listening. If Jesus had come in as the political leader, he would have come on, in a, in a, on a white horse, a war horse, giving the symbol of conquering. But he came as, we know, he, he came the first time as, as one who was meek and lowly. 
who was tender that even the children could come to him. And he came on a donkey. When he comes again in Revelation 19, he comes on a war horse. And he's coming to conquer. And he will eradicate all rebellion against his kingdom. But they missed it. They were celebrating. But they missed it. And as you look in your own life, where, where do you see your hope? Not only in the timing of what God will do or not do, but, but what has he promised in terms of our lives? Has he given us a, a message that, we'll, that if we come to faith in him, we'll be wealthy and well and prosperous? Or has he said, I, I, I've, I, I've got a mission for you. I, I want you to follow me so that you can reach out and touch other people's lives. Often the gospel that people believe in America would be laughed at in other parts of this world. What, if I come to Jesus, I'll get a bigger house and a bigger car? They don't even have a house. They don't have a car. All they have is darkness around them. And, and then when people come to the point where they, they share the message of Christ to them, they say, I, I can be forgiven? That's the message. It's so much, so much bigger than a political message that changed the circumstances for a while. Jesus could have wiped out the Roman Empire with, a, with a, just a word from his mouth. But if he had left it there, it would all come back again. See, Jesus needs to change us on the inside. And that's, that's the message of Palm Sunday. It's, it's not just save us from our circumstances, but save us from ourselves. Save us from our sin. They were celebrating, but they were so confused because they were confused about the political nature of God's plan. Thirdly, they were confused about the spiritual nature of God's plan. John chapter 12, verse 16. These things the disciples did not understand at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, that they had done these things to him. Now, this, this is an interesting verse thrown in here because you're saying, wait a minute, I, I, I get it. The crowds are often confused. Yeah. The, the, that which is popular is often wrong. Okay, the disciples had been with Jesus for three years, right? They had heard this message over and over and over again. But they missed it, didn't they? They missed it. And, and, and sometimes, okay, we on this side and, and in places like this, we understand, okay, Jesus came to save us from our sin. Jesus came to make our wrong relationship with God, our right relationship with God. Jesus came not only to take away that which is sinful in our lives, but give us his righteousness, the great exchange. But what we often miss is what, what they missed. That God's greater plan is, is how he wants us to, to live with him and for him. They didn't get it until Jesus was glorified. Now, now the word glory, and we've talked about that many times you know, here, but that is at the heart of God's eternal plan. 
Let me read to you a passage in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 6 and 7. You have Isaiah writing these words. I will say to the north, give them up. I will say to the south, give them, hold them back. Hold the, hold the sons from afar. And then he says, and my daughters from the ends of the earth. So he says, I want the sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Then verse 7, everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. What's, what's at the heart of God's spiritual plan? is that we are, created, we are created for Him. We are created for His glory. We're created to lift Him up. We're created not to live for ourselves, but for Him who died and rose again on, their, on our behalf. That, that's what we were made for. We, are, we need to see ourselves as like anything else that is, that is made or used in this world. You know, when you pick up a, an instrument that you use to work around the house, uh, if you take something out of the kitchen, maybe a spatula, and you say, okay, I'm going to take this outside, and I'm going to use it as a hammer and try to put some nails in, you know, in the wood. How well is that going to work? Okay. It wasn't made for that. Or the same way, I, I'm going to take a hammer, and I'm going to try to make, go into the kitchen and, and Try to make a cake or whatever you do with a hand. Okay. It's not, it's, that wasn't made for that intended purpose. And, and see, what we need to understand, what the spiritual life is all about, is that we need to come in line with what we were designed to be. To, to live out God's plan. That's his glory. To manifest who he is by being the people he's made us to be. We were made for his glory. That's what we were made for. And then we need to realize that we are supposed to live like that all the time. I think there's a verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says something like this. Whether then you eat or drink or, or whatever you do, do all to the what? Glory of God. So we were made for God's glory. We were to live daily doing that which is glorifying to God, which is living according to his design plan. And then thirdly, we need to realize the reason we don't do that naturally because we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory, right? And his glory is his, his, his plan, his design for us. And when we break his commandments, we're breaking his design for us. And so as they were wrestling with this, the disciples, they were saying, well, this, this, isn't, this is not how we pictured God becoming a man and, and being here to, to help us out. You're not supposed to die. And they didn't get it until they realized he died, but he didn't stay dead, did he? He rose from the dead. And so when God does things that confuse us, we need to realize, okay, he's the one in charge, not we are the one in charge. We don't try to evaluate his plan. We try to simply understand his plan. And so we need to realize that we can get confused spiritually if, number one, we don't realize we're, we were made to be his glory, to glorify him. That, number two, that that should happen all the time, whatever we do. Thirdly, we need to realize the reason we're not in that plan is because we have fallen short of his glory. And then we need to realize, ultimately, if we choose not to follow after him, we will forever be away from his presence and his glory. As Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, that's what he said. He said, those who choose not to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they will be forever from his presence and from his glory. 
But the good news is, after this life is over, for us who know him, we will be forever in his glory. In John 17, Jesus said, we'll be glorified as he is glorified. But they didn't get it until they saw Jesus in his glory. Now, I just threw out a lot of theological language here. Simply, it means this. We will be confused about our relationship with God if we somehow don't see Jesus in his glory. That's what Easter is all about. They thought initially that when he died, that was it. But when he was raised from the dead, then they saw him as he truly is. Our lives are never in line with God's plan for us when somehow our, our view of Jesus is less than who he is. That, that's why we go to this book. That's why we spend time with God's people. That's why we obey God's word and then see it manifest in our lives. Because when we see it, then we begin to see God in all of his glory. That his design plan is perfect. Even when we don't understand it. Even when it isn't according to our plan. Even when it's not working out in our circumstances. Because we see Jesus so much better than anything else this world has to offer. Does that make sense? And the disciples missed it. They had seen all the miracles. But somehow Jesus was a little bit lower in their eyes than who he really was and is. They didn't, they didn't see it. And sometimes we don't see it. We get confused and we, we get distracted with all the things that go around us. And we miss seeing Jesus clearly. And that's not always easy, is it? You know, the news that letter got back when she got back is, is not good about Michelle. Her sister with a 10-year-old daughter and her husband, and they're seeing the likelihood of death, not life, physically. But if Jesus is who he is, that he's the victor over the grave. Even at death, there's life. And every time we see death, that's the picture. Every time. Is Jesus still victorious over death? And they couldn't see it because they missed the true spiritual nature of God's plan. Now, finally, this morning. They celebrated. They were excited on Palm Sunday. And they were throwing down palm branches. They were, they were throwing down their own garments. They were, they were cheering in the midst of the religious leaders, their leaders looking at them with shock and, and dismay and actually anger. Um, and, and what they began to wrestle with, not particularly at that moment, but later on, they were beginning to wrestle about the truth of God's plan, about the truth of God's plan. And see, really, as great as the story is, we do not want to believe it unless it is what? And it's true. Paul said, I mean, it's a great story and maybe it's helped you out. But if, if we believe this is not true, we above all people are most miserable and to be looked at with dismay. But the reality is it's true. It's true. Verse 17, so the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. And, and they were convinced because they saw that greatest of all miracles, the raising of someone who was physically dead in the grave for 40 days. 
For this reason, also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. They were, they were convinced because of the miracle. But those, there were those who were just angry at this response. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. They began arguing with themselves. We've got to stop this because we're convinced it's not true. We should have killed him back then when he withered when he healed the withered man's hand, we, we should have not been fearful about the, the, the crowd. We should have got him before he came into Jerusalem. And, and then they became convinced they had to get him now. And so before that plan, which they said they weren't going to play out, they played out because it was according to God's timing of the plan. But w- what they were denying was the truth of what they could see. And sometimes we, we think, well, if I had been there with Jesus, you know, during those times and I saw the miracles or heard the miracles, I would have believed just instantly. But the reality is people who even saw it denied it. Because you not only need to believe the truth about who Jesus is, but you need to believe the truth about who you are. Jesus was a great physician, but he only healed those who knew they were what? Sick. Jesus is the one who saves people from their sin, but he only saves people from the sin who admit they're what? Sinners. Sin, uh, Jesus came to be Lord, not only Savior, but he only leads those people who want to be what? Led. You know, Jesus is truth personified. I am the way, the, the truth. And he, and he spoke about what he spoke about and, and others had said about him in the Old Testament and those who would say things about him after that. He said, God's word is what? True. You know, Pilate almost was convinced, wasn't he? In John 18, 17, uh, 37 and 38 says, Jesus said, Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. He came to the point where he realized that, that Jesus, Jesus was, was not guilty of what they had said about him. But what he would admit the truth about was that he needed what Jesus and Jesus alone could offer. So what's the so what this morning? Don't be confused. Celebrate, but don't be confused. But celebrate God's better plan. In John 18, 36, Jesus said this. Jesus answered, my kingdom. This is after Pilate was wondering about what kind of a king he was. My kingdom, my rule is not of this world. But if my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. You know, Jesus is going to set up his kingdom in the future that will have land and territory and the heavens declare the glory of God everywhere. But the only ones who experience that kingdom are the ones who experience the kingdom in the realm within our hearts. That's where he came to rule. It's the answer to his prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and begins in our own life. And the active part of that is but seek first his kingdom 
Seek first his rule. Seek first him being sovereign in your life. Might he be the one who calls the shots in our lives and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Palm Sunday was the beginning of Passion Week, Easter Week, the week in which we remember what all that Jesus came for to do. And on that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he, he was trying to get the people to understand what was going on. He did it by coming in on a donkey. He came in without wearing a crown. He came communicating the same message he had always communicated. He came to rule in our lives and to turn us from our sin and experience the one who came to be their Savior. And then he would be going to the cross to accomplish all that he had planned to do. Let's not be confused. God wants and is able to rule in our hearts when we submit to him. Let's pray. Our Father, I hope all of us see some of the personal applications of of what this message can mean to us. When we struggle with the timing of what you're doing or not doing, when we, we question your plan because it doesn't seem to be happening at the moment we want it to be happening because we're struggling more than succeeding, we're, we're in more pain than in the plan that we thought you had for us, might we recognize that all things will happen and be completed according to your time. When we wonder why our circumstances, like the political arena around us, we wonder why are things happening, might we recognize that our hope is not found in this world, but the world to come. When we sometimes want to, to have things work out like we understand, even in the spiritual realm, might we understand it's really not about us, but it's about you. It's about your glory, about, about things happening according to your design. And at times when people question about the truth, might we recognize that you are truth personified? If there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, might, might they make the step to become a Christ follower? Admit their need and turn from their sin, that which separates you from them, from you. Might they believe, believe in their heart fully that Jesus paid the price for our sin and rose again? And might even in their hearts right now make a commitment to communicate to you, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, my Savior, and my God. And when we pray that prayer, when we really mean it in our heart, then you'll make that happen. You'll make us a new, a new person in Christ. And Father, if we know you, might we decide in a fresh and new way, I want to seek first your rule in my life. And that which is right, the righteousness that comes from you and the right living you want us to live out. And when we seek you first, then your plan plays out and we experience it in its fullness. Help us to celebrate who you are no matter what happens because you're in control. 
And we praise in Christ's name.